that time of the week again. It's time for Chit Chat Across the Pond. This is episode number 462 for November 2nd, 2016, actually being recorded on August, uh, October 29th. I'm your host, Allison Sheridan. This week, our guest is Brian Johnson. He's an electrical engineer, ham radio nerd, and RC flyer and bottle rocket maker. Steve, Brian, and I were all engineers at Raytheon together and happened to retire at the same time. And Steve is reconnected with Brian out uh, at a pond called Entradero Pond. So we figured, why not chit chat across the pond, right, Brian? That's right. Thanks for having me on the show, Allison. All right. I'm excited. So I couldn't really have this conversation without uh, bringing Steve in. Steve, how are you doing? Hello, Allison. Happy to be here. All right. And happy to hear you again, Brian. <laughs> you too, Steve. <laughs> All right. So we wanted to get Brian on the show because he was telling Steve a bunch of cool stuff he's been doing with kids in uh, in science, technology, engineering, and math. And you know how we love a, a good STEM topic here on Chit Chat Across the Pond. So uh, why don't we start, Brian, by telling us how did you get involved in science and technology in the first place? Well, you know, I've always been good at math and it's something I've enjoyed because I was good at it, I think, you know, and uh it just kind of builds into what you do at life. I got a radio for Christmas one year when I was maybe 12. It was a little uh, shortwave receiver. Oh, wow. And I hooked a wire up in the attic, and I was listening to, you know, uh, Radio Netherlands. Oh, and I thought, wow. wow, this is pretty neat, right? So um, that kind of evolved uh, into, you know, subscribing to Popular Electronics Magazine and oh, starting to yeah, and building some kits and so forth. Did you have uh, an influence of, of a parent or a, a, your mom or your aunt or anybody help you with this stuff or just self-motivated? You know, it's interesting. I mean, my dad was an engineer, but he was more of um, his specialty was hydraulics and not electronics. Mm. And although there are a lot of similarities, um, he didn't really understand a lot of the electronic stuff I was doing. Okay. All right. Hey, Brian, can you, can you tell us maybe one of your earlier projects that you did as a kid? Well, so, you know, it kind of goes back to the uh, model rocket thing. One of my favorite things uh, that I built was a little countdown timer. And so I had to go out to the various little electronic stores and pick up the, you know, 74 series integrated circuits at that time and wire together a little uh, box that I saw in Popular Electronics magazine. And basically what it did is had a big, like, one-inch LED display in it, and it counted down nine, eight, seven, you know, like a rocket countdown. <laughs> and at the end, it would launch my toy rockets. Those Estes rockets with the uh, solid rocket motors? Right. And, you know, the problem with those is you, you really it's really hard to find a place to shoot them anymore. Right, right. When we were younger, we'd just shoot them at the park, and nobody seemed to care. But now people call the police. <laughs> that is for sure. <laughs> we should point out that we're all in the L.A. area. Um, I know people in other parts of the world have this thing they call free empty space. It, yeah, it, not much of that around here. I've only no, read about except it. Except after Daryl Park. <laughs> as long as you don't hit those houses yeah or the kids so um you were telling steve about some uh of the more distant projects that you worked on uh, back in the 90s uh why don't you tell us about what you were doing when you were in high school by this time well i mean you know in high school i think we were talking about i think the model rocket launcher was the biggest thing uh i did when i was in high school but it was a, it is kind of a funny story. It has to do when I got my job at Hughes was um, back in those days, we didn't really have cable TV. 
um, there was a thing called On TV. I don't know. Do you remember that, Steve? Oh, oh yes, we do. We know about this. <laughs> well, I built an On TV decoder. <laughs> and so I was getting interviewed, and this was probably in about 1981. And I was getting interviewed for my first job. And um, the uh, the guy that was interviewing me, so, so why do you want to be an engineer and so forth? And I said, well, you know, I just love playing with electronics i do it all the time and he well what was the last thing you built i said well i built an on tv decoder box and his eyes got kind of wide <laughs> and apparently there had been a big scandal yeah, because at, at hughes aircraft they were actually printing illegal on tv decoder boards on the production line <laughs> so uh, to explain to people the company we worked for originally all three of us was hughes aircraft which later got bought by raytheon but yeah we actually knew uh uh, several of the people involved in that uh, illegal production of of uh, decoders of the signals that the people should have been paying for. Not that we were involved with it. Nope. No. I think no, we, we made an not. antenna, Steve, didn't we? We I remember a, a, a threaded rod with a bunch of washers on it, and then we kind of went, well, this doesn't sound right. Yeah. <laughs> I think where people got in trouble is when they were using company assets. Well, and that's right. Those were government assets, too. So anyway, right. we didn't have anything <laughs> to do with that. That's the point. We had nothing to do with that. <laughs> Correct. But so so when you were applying for the job, was this bef after the scandal? I guess it was. Oh, and no. so I was like, I opened a can of worms. Like I said, this guy's eyes got wide. And he like <laughs> looked at me and he just started laughing. And it was funny. You know, they took, me to, they took me to lunch in the executive dining room up in R1. I don't know if you ever had a lunch there, but it was oh, yeah. very not. And and their people around started turning their heads. It was hilarious. Nice. <laughs> All right. So, what did you do with this um, this high school group that you worked with? Oh, know, okay. Later in the nineties. All right. All right. So, uh, you know, I'd been at Hughes for some time, and one of the cool things about Hughes is they actually had a lot of clubs, and I belonged to. Uh, the Apple Computer Club. Allison will like that. Yay! So you're a Mac guy then? No. <laughs> I was an Apple II guy. Oh, right? okay. An Apple guy, not a Mac guy. You an only Apple. like it when it's hard. Yeah, I I like Linux, so what can I say? Well, that's all right. Um, yeah. At so, least you didn't uh, say Windows. No, I like, well, it's okay, but I like Linux. All right. Anyway, so uh, I was president of the uh, Hughes Amateur Radio Club, and uh, we sent out a lot of emails and so forth, trying to get people to join our club. I don't even know if there was a lot of email at that time, but we put ads in little magazines, you know, those little freebie magazines that went around. Um, and uh, this high school just contacted us. And it was called St. Bernard's High School. It was in uh, Westchester. Mm -hmm. And apparently one of their alum, this guy named Kevin Shilton, was going to go up on the next space shuttle. And he wanted to talk to his alma mater from outer space. That is so cool. Whoa. F from the uh, from the shuttle, the space shuttle. Right, right. And and you know, not going through TDRS, not going through mission control in Houston, not a direct contact. He was going to sit in the window on the space shuttle with a basically a walkie-talkie. You know, uh, hams prefer to call them HTs handheld transceivers, hmm. and talk to us uh, with our little ground station uh, in uh, Marina del Rey, Westchester area there. So the shuttle's pretty uh, low orbiting. Uh, you must you must have had to have the shuttle perfectly or well aligned with you, you overhead so you could have line of sight to them? 
Well, that yeah, it's a funny thing. You know, a lot of people say, oh, you've talked to outer space. I go, well, it's only 200 nautical miles. Yeah. Oh, I mean, 200 miles is nothing. Right. You know, I can talk to 200 miles on nothing. The problem is, of course, there's downrange when they're approaching you, and then they reach an apex, of, and then at that point, maybe they're 200 miles away. But then when they sat, they could be, you know, 2,000 miles away. So, so you had you had a limited amount of time that they were in your field of view that you well, could that's talk? that's right. Exactly. So, th- so we were using the two meter band, which is about 145 megahertz, and uh, it's line of sight communications. It goes right through the ionosphere, which is good, and it hits the space shuttle. And so, obviously, we were running computer tracking software, and uh, we knew where it was going to be and when. And we actually had a s- schedule, you know, because we were. Part- can, I, can I back you up for just a second? I, yeah. I'm confused. Um, the, so the shuttle's up there, and you're just shooting energy at it from a from an antenna on the ground or are they shooting enter- what antennas what how is this happening how are the yeah, two things right. talking so, to each other so it's kind of like two people talking to each other on toy walkie-talkies that you had when you were a kid okay uh the guy on the space show actually has a walkie-talkie uh it's a little handheld transceiver probably puts about five watts out mm-hmm. and from what I'm led to believe the antenna is actually inside the space shuttle but he but he sits by a window so it's transparent. So you can get the energy out, out of the shuttle. Yeah. I mean, you can use a HT in a car too. You would, you know, mm-hmm. it's not complete. Your, your, your energy isn't completely consumed by the metal of the car. Yeah. It's not a Faraday cage. Not completely. Right. And so then we had a relatively sophisticated station with a multi-element Yagi antenna and we were pointing it right at him as he flew by. So you've got that like outside in the, in the yard at the school or right we went and set up a temporary station at the gymnasium uh we you know we set up all the tables so right out do- outside the gymnasium in the lawn there we set up our station and Excellent. and did you bring that antenna or did they have that antenna or where'd that come from well right so the reason they contacted me is they didn't know anything about amateur radio right Okay, And so it, it turns out that our club, the Hughes Amateur Radio Club, didn't even really have that either. Hmm. Um, so we teamed up with some of the folks at TRW. Uh, there's, a, there's a thing that ham radio operators play every year called field day. And field day is a thing where you go out into the field and set up a temporary station. And you get bonus points if you talk to satellites. <laughs> so well, everybody is, wanted to help ticket. you then, right? <laughs> yeah, I mean, think about that. There are satellites that are in orbit right now that are up there just so ham radio operators can play with them. Oh, that's not why they're there. They are. They're in orbit Wait, but, right yeah, now. But who? they didn't put them up there just for ham radio people to play with. Yeah, they did. Some of them, yeah. They're not real sophisticated, huge satellites, right? No, they're, they're, they're just relatively basically simple. A, a repeater in the sky, an FM repeater in the sky. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> I, I just, I believe you guys play with them. I just don't believe that's why somebody paid to put them up there. Well, there yeah. actually is an organization called AMSAT, which is uh, the amateur satellite group in the United States that, that actually pays you know, their second, secondary, tertiary, or whatever payloads on rockets. But yeah, they're just there for ham radio. Wow. So let's get back to the this shuttle thing. Okay. Cuz this is incredible. You so you must have had a very specific time window and location to aim your antenna to be able to talk to that shuttle, right? Well, right. So you know when they're launching, 
And as soon as they launch, uh, NORAD updates the Keplerian orbital elements for the space shuttle. You put those in your computer tracker, and you know okay. where they're going to be and when. Wait, now NORAD, we, that's those guys that are under the mountain that don't talk to anybody. I know, but you, you know, but you could go that? out there, there. You could go there right now and get orbital elements for pretty much everything that's out there. We'll have to put a link in the show notes for that. That would be fun. Yeah. <laughs> By the way, the shuttle that you spoke to, that was the Endeavor? Yeah, and and the coolest thing is, <laughs> because nice. we worked at Hughes slash Raytheon, it flew right by my office window when it when it made its... When it landed. Yeah. Oh, for it, its when, final it, trip? Its last final trip into Los Angeles. So wow. for those who don't know, Endeavor did end up here in Los Angeles, um, currently displayed at the California Science Museum, which we've... We've seen several times. Uh, Brian, I assume you have. Yeah, and it's the one I talked to. How cool yes, that? how neat. That's really cool. Right now it's mounted horizontally, but it, the, sh- the main shuttle tanks have arrived. And I think in a year or two, they plan to mount the whole stack, uh, that is shuttle and its tanks, vertically in the launch configuration. Which And I think this will be the only shuttle they do that with. That sounds really neat. Yeah, I went down to Marina Del Rey the day they brought that in on the, on the big... Uh, barge and it's a, a big orange tank yeah hey, I, I just looked up uh uh norad satellite schedule and i found the official norad santa tracker so well yeah they do that too they do track santa too so so uh, clearly you you had some success with this uh this contact with the shuttle how was that well uh, right so depending on the pass you know different passes are different going to be different angles above your head right so if you have a really good pass it would theoretically come up 90 degrees over your head now pass like that can last about 15 minutes from mm-hmm. horizon to being straight over your head to to setting um, this pass was about a 60 degree pass so we had about 12 minutes of talk time uh, we had 10 students that the school selected to be the lucky guys who got to and gals that got to talk to the uh, space shuttle, and uh, they worked out their questions that they were going to ask. They tried. I tried to work with them to focus them on some of the aspects specific to the mission. Oh. And uh, each of them got to ask at least one question, and some of them got to ask two. So that was really good because it would be really disappointing for a kid to go through all this and not get an opportunity to talk. Yeah. Yeah. Let me, I got to ask you, they had to have asked how you go to the bathroom, right? It's strictly <laughs> forbidden. It's oh. funny. I was working with the SARX team at, at, at NASA, you know, because the SARX stands for shuttle amateur radio experiment. And it's actually a payload they put on the shuttle. And so if they're going to be doing this, talking to schools and we were several, uh, one of several schools that they talked to on this mission. Um, they have a mentor you work with at Mission Control, this member of the SARX team, and they kind of tell you what questions are, are inappropriate, and, and that is one of them. However, one of the students did ask um, what, what, what it was like to sleep in outer space. Oh, that's a good and, one. Uh, yeah, and I thought that was kind of cool. And interestingly enough, I remember the answer that the uh, astronaut gave. He said, it was like sleeping on a giant waterbed. He says there's no pressure points huh. at all. Super comfortable. You know, what I like about the astronauts is they tend to be able to put things in very 
simple layman's terms. Uh, everyone that I've heard talk can do that. They have a knack for doing it. And I think it's because they select astronauts to be representatives of NASA and science and technology well, as one of their qualities. Yeah. I mean, we had one at work there uh, that was working in, in our center, actually, the last couple of years I was there. And he was very easy to talk to, very personable. Yeah. yeah that's good represent, uh, representatives for tech. That must be hard to find engineers and scientists who are also good at communicating because that's not always the case. I mean, the three of us are, of course, amazing, but not everybody exceptions. is. Exceptions. That's right. We are amazing exceptions. <laughs> Anything else you want to say about that, uh, the contact with the shuttle, Brian, with the uh, shuttle it was, endeavor? It was super cool. I mean, <laughs> like looking back, like in my life, it was like one of the really fun things that I did. And I had a, a really good time. And so a little later in the show, we'll talk a little bit about maybe getting an opportunity to talk to space again. And so I'm really excited about it. I also think the impact it had on you, the impact it had on those kids. I mean, what you helped them do, that's got to have that's got to have influenced their their career paths and their lives, I would think. You know, I sure hope so. I mean, I I wish, you know, you, you know, you watch these movies and stuff. And they show what the kids are doing 10 years later. I, I wish I would have gotten the, the complete names and everything oh, yeah. and social security numbers of these kids. <laughs> <laughs> so I could attract them throughout the rest of their life and see what happened to them. I'm sure NSA's got that. <laughs> <laughs> well, good. Um, that, that would be just a thrill of a lifetime. I'm sure you'll remember that one forever. And, and those kids, how lucky for them. Hey, bring us up to something a little more recently that you've been doing with with kids. Well, right. So uh, I uh, used to work with a guy named Kent Schwickes, and he actually has a Ph.D. in physics. And we worked together for many years at Raytheon, Hughes, and we actually rode our bikes to work together every day. Hmm. So you can imagine spending two hours a day with each other. I mean, we, we, a, a lot of people thought we might be partners because we just knew each other so well and we were such kindred spirits. We were both very active in scouting and outdoor stuff and uh, we really uh, were good friends. And so um, he left his uh, work at Raytheon and decided to go back into academia as a college professor. Oh, wow. And he, yeah, and he got a job working at the Compton campus of El Camino College. And uh, so he has recruited me. Uh, you know, I, I was telling Steve earlier that uh, I feel kind of like I'm the Wallowitz <laughs> to his Sheldon. <laughs> Excellent he's analogy. The PhD in physics, and I'm the engineer, the right? I, I, I give you a little more credit than Wallowitz. You, you, I think you know your engineering, especially the hands-on well, so stuff better Wallowitz. than Wallowitz. So no, he just doesn't have a PhD. He really doesn't. He's a he. Well, I don't know. He had just a lot of he's trouble a mechanical with that. Engineer. He had a lot of trouble with that zero space toilet, zero gravity toilet, <laughs> and he couldn't fix his own car. He couldn't fix a car. Yeah, but know, he's the one that invented that uh, thing that uh, the NASA's uh, or the Air Force is buying off of them. That was his brainchild. So that's so true. I think we're finding some plot, or you know, some. Oh, <laughs> uh, before you go on about this, uh, just to let people know who are not from this area, um, El Camino College is a uh, is a, um, a two year college, right? And it's community a college. community college. And uh, Compton is a uh, challenged area. Let's just call it that. It's yeah. Uh, I mean, not it's kind of inter- inner city, 
kids, you know, and the demographic is is certainly not a, a lot of white kids in the classes, but so this uh, most, is a great place to start bringing in astronomy and physics from uh, uh, Dr. Schwickis, right? I think it's great, you know. Yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. So, so you've so helped out there, you yeah. Well, right. So uh, one of the things, of course, you know, I like radio, and so uh, Kent was saying he was working with some of his students on building some kind of a radio to learn about something and uh, I guess probably electromagnetic spectrum and physics and so forth. And I said, well, I have this little radio kit called the Pixie. And I says, I can get it very inexpensively from China. And he says, order, order 30 of them. Ah. So a hundred dollars later, a hundred dollars for 30 kits. uh, We had all these Pixies. And so now what do you do? So he said, well, you got to come to the class and teach the kids how to build it. So it was actually part of their final grade was that they got this Pixie to work. Wow. So these Pixie radios, uh, what do they do? What do they? Well, so it's actually, okay, so, you know, it's interesting that the hams have a portion of the electromagnetic spectrum allocated to them. And this is like prime real estate, Right. Yeah, we, we own little pieces of this electromagnetic spectrum. So there's a part of the 40 meter band, which is about seven megahertz, that we can operate on. And uh, you do have to have a license. You know, that's why you're a ham uh, to so get let, a license. Let, let me pause for a moment. So 40 meter band means 40 meter is the wavelength of the electromagnetic radiation you're transmitting with. That's right. It's about okay. seven megahertz. And so it is. That's one wavelength. That's 40 meters. So Half a football field is one wavelength. That's oh, right. Wow. Pretty low frequency stuff. And the funny thing is we call that HF. High frequency. <laughs> yeah, because in those days it was. Yeah. Now it's just nervous DC. <laughs> nervous and, you know, With DC. all the microwave stuff we're doing. I mean, the video downlink on my planes is 5.8 gigs. Yeah. Yeah. So anyway, you know, these kids were pretty basic kids, and we had to start at the beginning. So what is a resistor? I mean, they had learned, I think, the concept of resistance, but they'd never actually seen one, wow. right? Well, and that's probably the- more common in, uh, in today's youth. I don't, know if, I don't know, Steve, have our kids ever seen a resistor? Uh, may not have. Well... Good question. I think they have. And in 1994, it probably would have been even easier than it is today, since everything is becoming so integrated. We're not back in 1994, are we? I thought we're... Oh, what year, what year are we in? I can't remember anymore. <laughs> Fairly <laughs> recently? recent past. Well, the one thing I did to get their attention, because I saw them kind of moving away, I said, okay, I'm going to show you a little pot. To find a pot. Hey. And I showed them a little potentiometer. <laughs> oh, okay. Let me tell you, they got interested right away yeah you got their attention immediately <laughs> I, said, I hope i'm not going to get any trouble but i brought a little pot with me to campus <laughs> Pot's not, and then not i showed it in california it's, a, it's you know a variable resistor right yes but you know it's a little humor like that got him going and uh i had a good time teaching the class uh i think he actually had me go like four different days so the first day was component identification the second day was how to solder. I mean, these kids didn't know which end of a soldering iron to hold, you know? That's Not very the hot important. end. <laughs> yeah, you learn it after the second try for sure. It's like a USB plug, you usually get it on the third try. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, why is that? 
And I don't know why that is, but it's like the soldering. After you grab the, the hot end once, you usually don't do that again. I just put one of these Pixie ham radios on my Christmas list, Brian. You could. I actually have a couple yeah, they're, here. They're $12.99 at Amazon. Three, I, well, if you go to eBay, you can get them for about three ninety nine. <laughs> anyway, I have one. I can hook you up, Alice. But, but don't you don't you legally need a license to operate one of those? So all of the transmitting that they did was under my direct supervision. And one of the cool things about being a ham radio operator is it gives you the privilege to be what's called a control operator. And, you know, like I'm a control freak anyway. So it fits <laughs> right in with me. And so as the control operator, if I'm there when they're transmitting, that is legal. Oh, so that's what you did with the, the shuttle communications. You were the control operator? Exactly. So I a lot of times I even keyed the microphone, you know, pushed the push to talk button, mm-hmm. and just held the mic up in front of the kid's face and told him to say over when they were done talking. Oh, oh so cool. if I built this and got out my soldering iron and, and switched it to the hand I hadn't burned because I held the wrong end, I wouldn't get to use it? Well, you could come to our upcoming ham radio licensing class. Oh no, he's uh, sucking me into his bag. Ham radio club in in uh, in late late January. So think about that. So right. list of things to do for New Year's resolutions. Yeah. Could she listen only? Yes, of course. Oh, okay. Now, may not now know where to the, tune it, but the, the problem is it doesn't tune. Oh, it's rock bound, and the reason we call them rock bound is because. There's a little crystal oscillator. It's made out of a piece of rock, which is quartz, of course. Mm-hmm. And it only operates at a specific frequency. And that's the only place you're going to hear. And the only thing you hear there is Morse code. Oh. oh. Now you're going to have to learn Morse code, too. Now, you don't need Morse code to get any amateur radio license that's out there anymore. It's no longer a requirement. But if you if you really wanted to hear what people were saying using a pixie, it would probably be nice to have no Morse code. Here you go. So you you could uh, transmit Morse code without a license? No, but just no. receive. You can receive it. But he's saying okay. you don't need to know Morse code in order to get a ham radio license. Yeah, oh, I, I got gotcha. you. That, that's a change. Yes. Yeah, it is because when I got my license, I had to to get the, the class license I have, which is called an extra class license. You had to do 20 words a minute. Wow. Yes, our, our good friend Ron uh, was telling us about that. He was <laughs> proud at his rate. Doesn't that yeah. bother you, though, Brian? It's like, well, back in my day, we had to, we had to do 20 words <laughs> yeah, a minute. You know, these kids, kids today. Kids got it too easy. Get off my lawn. <laughs> exactly. But, speaking of the kids, so what was the reaction of them as they realized that they could solder and they could learn how I'll these components work? The biggest thing was so. So working them up with that, you know, I, I didn't mollycoddle them. If they came up and say, how did this look? The first thing I would do is hold it up to the light in the classroom. I'd say, see all these spots or spots that you did not solder properly. I can actually see, you know, light coming uh-huh. through these holes where they're supposed to be soldered. And this diode, it's in wrong. Remember, we talked about anodes and cathodes. And this resistor's in backwards. So, I mean, transistor. Did I say resistor? Resistors don't go backwards. <laughs> this transistors in backwards. So those are the typical things I had: transistors in backwards, diodes in backwards. Uh, Did you, you know. find that discouraged them or or encouraged them? No, no. You know, so they that was okay. You know, they they they. So you know, they learned a little bit about troubleshooting, and so that was like maybe the third class that I was there. So the fourth class that I went was. Uh, 
they were getting on the air. And when these guys mm-hmm. actually got to hear uh, me sending to them, because I'd built a Pixie as well, and they got to hear what theirs sounded like on mine, their eyes really lit up. Oh, it was, it was, that's cool. It was pretty neat. What a great way to get kids involved in electronics. Yeah, and, and it was interesting because one of these kids uh, came in. I don't know, he's late or something, and so he was kind of in trouble. And he, he said that he had just gotten accepted to Cal Berkeley. Oh, oh wow. fantastic. Nice. That's that's an achievement. And, you know, you, that was pretty neat. So, so you know, he was really excited about that. I don't think it had anything to do with building my radio. But, you know, for see these inner city kids getting an opportunity like that's pretty neat. Yeah, Certainly. definitely. Have you done anything else with uh, with your friend Kent? Well, uh, this year we did something fun this summer and it was, uh, I don't know. I think he got roped into this thing. Um, you know, like to keep your job, you've got to come and support this activity. And it was called science Academy. And apparently it was a two week program that they did with kids that were kind of six, seventh, eight, ninth graders. Um, so kind of, right out of elementary school, just going into high school um, to learn about science. And so they spent about two days going through various um, programs. And uh, one of the programs we did with them was um, uh, playing with uh, air-powered water bottle rockets. Neat. This is, uh, this is as opposed to the, the solid rocket motors uh, powered rockets that we grew up with the estes rockets exactly so the coolest thing about these water bottle rockets is they run on water so if you go down to the park and shoot them and the cops show up i don't know what they could do to you you know (laughs) it's got water and compressed air i mean there's no flames coming out there's nothing (laughs) the worst thing you can do is waste water well yeah that could be in california that could be a real problem But the worst, no, you, if one of these things hit you in the head, if you were standing over it and it, and it went off, it, it, they go off with quite a bit of, um, force. But when it comes back down, it's just a pretty light water bottle. Yeah. Empty two liter plastic Pepsi bottle. That's neat. So do you just take them out and let them shoot stuff off or do you teach them how it's going to work beforehand? Exactly. Teach them how to make it. Right. Well, we it, the class was kind of fun, and since I'm not a professional educator, uh, my friend Dr. Schwitkus put together the syllabus. But uh, the idea was is that we do like the AM uh, with theory, and then the PM with the lab. And so in the morning, we actually showed them some YouTube videos of these rockets. Um, oh, so they're motivated up front. Hopefully, you know, but then they were all kind of zoning out as soon as he started mentioning trigonometry. (laughs) And it's like, but you do want to know how high they're going to go, right? And you need to know trigonometry to be able to do that. And um, we were. It's so funny that it's so hard to get kids to to believe that math is going to be important. I mean, I, I just cross stitched a pillow for my grandson, and in order to assemble it, I needed trig. Because I had to exactly. make these little mitered corners, and how big was this? And uh, yeah, there was a lot of math involved in making. So people that. are always saying, "I'll never use that. I'll never use that." Oh, yeah, you know, you will. Yeah, I'm. I mean, it's scary. I it, and it's scary that you know how to do it. I, I was building an antenna the other day, 
and I wanted to buy some wire, and I went to Home Depot, and I went to the junk records, which is where I always go, <laughs> hoping I'll find a remnant because, you know, all engineers are inherently cheapskates. Yeah, I, I forgot to add, Brian is definitely thrifty. Okay. <laughs> if not anything else, he's thrifty. But I think I think most engineers are. I think most engineers with? are. Yeah. Thank yeah, you. we tend to be. Okay. So I see this coil, and it's about two feet in diameter, and I count the number of of rows going on across, you know, mm-hmm. one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten. I'm like, wow. And I do pi D, right? Sure. And I know how many feet are in it <laughs> because I know math. Right. What a concept, right? So I go to the guy and I says, I'm interested in this. I, what do you think? He said, well, this is expensive. So this heavy duty copper. And I go, well, how many feet do you think here? And he goes, oh, maybe 10 feet. <laughs> I go, yeah, I'll give you 50 cents on a dollar for it. <laughs> wow. So I bought this thing of, you know, of, of over 30 feet of wire, you know, for, for next to nothing. I really cheated him and I felt bad, but not really because he didn't know math. <laughs> yeah. Was it your fault he didn't know math? My fault. He and you asked him how long did he think it was. You didn't exactly. exactly. Agree with him. Yeah, I, no. I think I think you uh, were perfectly in the right on that one. Exactly. Nerd, but nerds will rule you. the earth. But I think they will. <laughs> Sorry, guys. We already are. <laughs> okay, that's right. But anyway, so you know, knowing a little trigonometry, so we're using a tool called an astrolab, and it's really it is spelled weird. But it's basically, and I'm trying to get you to visualize this. So, so if you know what a protractor is, uh-huh. you don't even know what a protractor is. You're never even going to get there. <laughs> you take a protractor and you were to hang a plumb bob down it. So take the flat side and put it up. Okay. And hang a plumb bob from like the middle of the protractor, right? Right. And as you tilt the protractor up, the plumb bob, of course, will still hang down. And if you were to stop it and hold it at that angle, you could look at the protractor and see what angle it got to. Right. Okay. And uh, so that's what Astrolabs are. And we actually got some that were uh, made by Estes Rockets, surprisingly enough. And these allowed you to tell what angle your rocket went to. And so we formed the kids up in teams. We assigned a project manager. We had uh, people responsible for each little piece of gathering data. This person was supposed to measure how far the rocket was away from the Astrolab when they took the measurement. This person was supposed to record the angle. You know, we had everybody set up. It was really pretty neat. That's so, good. You uh, show them the, the, the value of working together as a team. Yeah. It, it was just like working on an IPT. Yeah. It, for those, uh, that's a, a vernacular for integrated product team. <laughs> <laughs> it's like, if you can do that, you could work at Raytheon, right, Allison? <laughs> right. Well, who was your communications person? Uh, did you uh, go through earn we value? We should have signed an official, we should have done an earn value analysis. So, yeah, I'm telling you. Know, you. I, I think you guys all were IPT leads at some point in your career, weren't you? Yeah. 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 For a short yeah, time, not long. <laughs> It's it's not a fun job. But anyway, so uh, we broke for lunch. We had pizza brought in and it was fun. And then we went outside and, you know, it was a hot summer day in Compton, California, uh-huh. which is uh, was warm. And uh, we were shooting, playing with water and rockets and, and having fun. Oh, I bet um, they loved that. They did. I think everybody was very engaged where I saw a few yawns and people kind of fill in with their cell phones during the coursework. And when we got outside, everybody was very engaged, and they really had a lot of fun. 
Um, interestingly enough, uh, they did a horrible job collecting data. Oh, really? So even though we had told them exactly what we did, they needed to do. So when we went to gather all the data, it's like this column's blank. We, 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 can't, we can't do the calculation without that. Huh. And so we had to rerun the experiment. But, you know, that's kind of a, a chance for learning, too, that sometimes that happens in real life and that your data is corrupt or something happened to it and you got to go recollect it. So guess what? We had to shoot more rockets. What go wrong? <laughs> Maybe excuse. they were actually messing with you. <laughs> Maybe they did it on purpose. So then, you know, we tried to crunch some numbers, come up with some preliminary uh, calculations. So their, their big thing, the big question that they were supposed to answer was what was the better mix? More water and less air or less air and or Whichever more, less water and more air. Right. And what what will make the rocket go the highest? Yeah, that is an interesting trait because the air is the only thing that compresses, but but the water is the propellant. That's right. So there's a trade-off in the compression, the force to push out the propellant and the mass of that propellant. I found that it's right around three eighths. I like three eighths is a good number for so me. So three three parts water and the five parts air? Yeah. So like yeah, so so right but you know, right between a quarter and a half. Okay. Interesting. So full of how, water. How are you, full of water. How are you measuring compressed air volume? So right. Well, so these ones that we had actually use a little manual bicycle pump. So we didn't have to worry about running out of compressed air. So you're saying so you'd put in uh if it was an eight liter bottle, for example, you would have put in three liters of uh water and then the remainder you would just pump. Well, you got enough right. compression, right? And so, and so they would take the. Uh, there was a little psi gauge, and the way these launchers are made is they'll only take them up to sixty psi. Okay, which is a fair amount. That's yeah, that's pretty good. So they take them up to the max that they could do by just stepping on this pump, you know, and it gave them something to do. They got some exercise. And, They're yeah. outside. What could go wrong? <laughs> That's a beautiful now, sunny day. Were there, was there uh, any calculations about the whole propellant side of it, or was it mostly just on the trajectories? So, you know, we were doing kind of uh, an Edison approach, right? Trial and error. Not, experimental not so methods, much right? Experimental methods rather than trying to predict what they would do beforehand because they didn't know calculus. So Schwitt yeah. uh, must be an experimental physicist, not a theoretical <laughs> yeah. physicist. Exactly, exactly. <laughs> I'm curious how high do these rockets go typically? You know, you know, I almost have to encourage you to go to YouTube. Some of these rockets that people have built have gone thousands of feet high. I trust yours did not. No. <laughs> ours ours, you know, and and I did get this little set of plastic fins that you can buy and that really helps a lot if you put yeah. the fins on. Sure. Um with the kids there we didn't really have enough plastic fins to go around. So we were just shooting uh basically you know, two liter water bottles with, with nothing else. You know, we got a 50, 60 feet. That was pretty good. Oh, that's plenty for that. That's for good. The fun. Now, have you started taking their names and social security numbers down to see where they go? No, you know, it would be neat, but you know, I saw this one kid's going to Cal Berkeley. So there you that's go. That's maybe good. Count him as representative across the board. That's right. right. <laughs> you know, typical case. Yeah. 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 So what are some of your more recent activities in, in the tech area, Brian? Well, so I alluded to the fact that one of the high points of my entire life, I won't even say that because it's not funny, but <laughs> was talking to the space shuttle. It was a lot of fun. 
it was sure. definitely a lot of fun, you know, and uh, I wanted to do it again. And so recently I got contacted by a teacher, Daryl, named Daryl, um, at a school in downtown L.A. And uh, he asked if we would be interested in trying to make a contact with the International Space Station. And it's like, Who oh, wouldn't. Oh, heck no. Know, I like, wouldn't want to do this that. Is like, I'd done this before. Uh-huh. I had this guy from some random school contact my amateur radio club and ask me if I want to talk to the ad- astronauts while they're on orbit. Jeez. And that's roughly the same uh, altitude, is it not? It is. They're right mm-hmm. up there. You know, you know, you can see them fly by. Yeah. Oh, we yeah. We've been doing several that. Several times. Okay. That's fun. And Actually, my favorite thing is iridium flares. Have you ever seen iridium? Yes. Yeah, yeah, we yeah, have yeah. the app. Okay. So we've also um, <laughs> gone out front with uh, to watch the shuttle go over, and and I've been uh, bugging my neighbor to bring his daughter out for it, and we the finally ISS. got her. Out. Yeah, the ISS. Sorry, and uh, and he brought her out, and she's kind of like you know, it looks like a star that's moving real fast to her. And I realized what would what would actually get home to her is I looked at her, I said, "It's a spaceship. Right, you can right. see a spaceship," and she just kind of went. Oh wow! You know, I well, don't know and, whether and it's enough to get people on it. Yeah, well, you know, yeah. and there are people on that thing right there. There are. Well, I told you they were aliens, just like you. Well, and it's the they're... size of a football field, bigger when you count the solar it is, panels. It is really big. And we anyway. were really lucky back in the day. You know, when the ISS and shuttle were like getting ready to dock, oh, you could yeah. see them together. Oh, yeah. you going, could. That, oh, yeah. Wow. They don't do that anymore. On account of there's so, no shuttles up there. Right. They're in museums now. So what are you doing with uh, this whole effort to talk to the space station? Well, it's a big deal. I mean, there are schools all over the world competing for a chance to talk to the International Space Station. Ah. And apparently the astronauts that do this do it like in their free time. Hmm. Oh, they you know, they they do once you get accepted and you get put on uh, the schedule, you know, they're going to do it. But. It's not really part of the mission. So they have to give up some of their precious free time uh, to participate in this, right? So I don't know if it would be sleep time or looking out the window time or what. Hmm. But, you know, it's some of their off-duty time. And so they are, you know, they don't do it constantly. Right. And so um, right now they're collecting uh, applications from schools all around the world. So this is not a sure thing yet. Oh, no, it's not. You're in a contest, essentially, too. We're working really hard, you know, because I talked to the space shuttle before. Hopefully that'll give us a leg up. And that happens to appear in your your application, I bet? Oh, yeah. And and (laughs) the fact that we're actually working with the California Science Center a little, Oh, who perfect. happened to have the space shuttle I talked to in it. <laughs> I, I'm kind of hoping things will go well. But Send a picture of really, you pointing at the window they were pointing out of. <laughs> yeah, that's where the guy was sitting when he talked to me. No. Nice. So what what goes into doing this, if it works out? Well, right. So they have a thing called the ARIS, A-R-I-S-S, right, for International Space Station, Amateur Radio International Space Station team. And uh, they put together, uh, I mean, I've been in a few conference calls with the people on the ARIS team already, trying to talk to them about what makes a good application, you know. And and basically, it, it's very important that they team up with a local ham group 
Um, but also they want to see the school kind of embrace the idea of space and the International Space Station into their curriculum. Oh. Right. They want to see this whole STEM thing uh, come out of it. Uh, as part of the school's curriculum. So, interestingly enough, the guy that I'm working with is an English teacher. Huh. Oh, that's interesting. But he's a ham. But he's mm. has had students write little essays about what kind of questions they would talk to the astronauts about or various things associated with the space, uh, space station. And, uh, of course, he's working with the math teachers at the school. Um, and... Uh, and we're actually going to go to the school this coming week. Uh, well, depending on when this actually airs, uh, November 3rd, which is like tomorrow, um, based on when this airs. <laughs> <laughs> and talk, uh, participate what they call Community Law Day. And I, I, I first was kind of taken aback by the title. I said, well, we don't do anything with law. But one of the things that they do talk about is community service and giving back to the community. And, you know, one of the big aspects of ham radio, and I think probably why there are more hams, licensed hams than ever, is that so many um, amateur radio operators participate in, in citizens and emergency response team or CERT uh, in their neighborhood and communities. And yes. when the big earthquake comes and your cell phone doesn't work, it's going to be nice to have a, a ham radio. Most definitely. That that may be the last line of communication in well, uh, I mean, disaster. You, you've seen those movies. There's a lot of movies where that happens. Mm-hmm. Well, and Independ- I don't think we. I think we all thought it was of, like that. I think we all thought that was just movies until uh, 9/11, when communications were really rough because everybody was calling everybody, and the ham radio people were the ones who could still get through. You know, and I and I hardly even want to mention this, but I will. Um, we had an active shooter situation at Hughes one time. I remember that. I don't know. Yes. I don't know if you remember, but yes, uh, we do. So uh, everyone it got it was on TV. So all the news hel- helicopters were hovering over Raytheon. So everyone who knew anyone who worked at Raytheon tried to call, and guess what? The switchboard went dead, uh-huh. and no one could get through. So the guys on the twelfth floor, uh, which is where all the executives are called me and say, Brian, can you still make phone calls? Oh, wow. Sure. Who do you want to talk to? So I had a repeater over at the Hawthorne Police Department, and we were still able to uh, pass traffic. So that's stuff you can do with ham radio that that you can't. I mean, the cell cell phones aren't going to work either. Right. Yeah. Yep. So we don't want to end this on a uh, on on a Saturday. Uh, I know. I know. So, but but it does it does show the importance of ham and and that it continues going. So um, maybe maybe tell us a little bit about the club that you're that you're in now and and maybe plug that a little bit. Well, right. So so like I said, I was the president of the Hughes Amateur Radio Club uh, for several years, and uh, I just kind of got burned out doing it after a while. But what I did uh, keep doing is I'm the station manager. And surprisingly enough, we actually have several stations in operation still at the Raytheon facility. So we have a 70-centimeter repeater on the roof of R1, which is right by the L.A. airport. And, and it, its call sign is W6HA. And I, I'm the voice of W6HA. So if you ever go there, you'll hear someone say something like, 
high above the L.A. airport. This is <laughs> the Hughes Amateur Radio Club repeater, Whiskey 6, Hughes Aircraft. Oh, and nice. the voice I, of Brian Johnson here at WCCO. I don't do that. I don't do that. I'm the voice of WCCO. I can just hear that. I have the WCCO voice. It's like people are like, shut him up. <laughs> but uh, so that's kind of neat. So we still have that going, and we use that uh, for our you know, communication. And we uh, also have a big tower with a huge HF beam that does uh, 15 and 10 and 20 meters over by building E6. We have our big field day trailer over in the T lot. So we still have a lot of active hams. We have over, over 40 members. And uh, like I said, we're going to be teaching a class um, in, in, in uh, late January, early February next year. So th- this is a global audience we're uh, we're talking to right now. But, yeah, uh, but I know. for those people who are local, do you have a, a URL to plug uh, of how they would find the plug? Uh, the uh, yeah, you, uh, you're killing me because there actually is some stuff. Uh, okay, I would well, just I'll put say, a link in the show notes. Yeah, when, we can do done. that. Very good. And uh, I'll just say that we we meet at the El Segundo Public Library at noon on the third Tuesday of every month. This has this been is, really, really cool, Brian. I, uh, uh, I I knew that this was going to be fun when we ran into you at Starbucks and we couldn't stop talking, right? Yeah. Steve and I have a hard time stopping talking. <laughs> Brian, I have to say, you know, one of the things that got me into science and technology was my ninth grade physics teacher. And the way, just seeing his, how excited and passionate he was about physics got me involved. And, you know, you're kind of doing that, hopefully, with some of these kids. If they see your passion, they see what you can get out of science and technology. Just think of uh, what they might do with that. So to me, that that must have a you must have a real sense of satisfaction from that. Well, I appreciate that. And, you know, I want to be that guy. Yeah, I want to be that guy that someday some kid will say it's because uh, uh, Brian worked with me that I, I did what I did, and uh, that would make me tremendously happy. Well, I bet there are a few out there that, that, that feel that way, and, and you will get their Social Security number. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's just like, where are they today? You know, how, yeah. I don't know. So I, I started to think, how would you actually track somebody? Yeah, like yeah, yeah. Okay, so before the police come to arrest you for saying <laughs> yeah. anything more, I See really, some black helicopters right out the window right now. I really appreciate coming on the show, Brian. This was a lot of fun. I've had a great time, Allison. Thanks for having me. Yeah, thank you, Brian. This is fun. I hope you've enjoyed this episode of Chit Chat Across the Pond. We are now supported by Patreon. So if you go over to podfeet.com slash Patreon, you can pledge your support to the show in weekly installments. If you don't have money to spare, I understand that. And it would be great if you used our Amazon affiliate links when you buy things on Amazon anyway, and a little bit of money goes to help the show. I love feedback, so please send me email at allison at podfeed.com. And you can join in our Facebook group over at podfeed.com slash Facebook and our community at podfeed.com slash Google+. Thanks for listening and stay subscribed.